What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. We talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. We do. And we're back. We are back. With a holiday episode. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Love holiday episodes. I, just, I love folklore episodes, but we had so much fun with last year's that not only... Are we continuing the tradition? But we also reshared it, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I'll talk more about in a second. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll be so fun. I'm also very excited about just the holidays in general mm. on this podcast because we do this. But we've also got our uh, our our Christmas stories, our Christmas Eve ghost Christmas stories, Eve ghost stories in yeah. the month. Um, and I don't know, there's just something special about about these stories in December. Yeah. It's unique and fun in my mind. It's a it's its own little fun season, like time of year for the stories that we choose. Yeah. Which is fun. It's super fun. But before we get to all the fun, my dear, what beautiful drink mm. are you drinking? Oh my goodness. I am drinking the watermelon lime olipop. Guys, go buy this and drink it. You will your life will be changed. It is so good. It tastes like a summer's day. Mm-hmm. It tastes, it's so good. It's, it's only so good. like what, 40 calories? Something uh, like that? Like yeah, 40, like 40 whole calories. Better than most pops that I've had. It's so good. If not all pops, it's really good. Yes. I love it. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. What do you have? Oh, yeah. So I, uh, let me, let me, let me set the stage a little bit. <laughs> Because in December, at the, in winter time, Christmas time, really, they put out this very special beer, and I only get it for a short window every year. Mm. The Shinerbach Holiday Cheer, the Cheer Beer, the Cheer Beer is what we call it in our household, and I love <laughs> it, and I enjoy it every single year. And then I am sad in January when I can't find it any. Not even January. It's like this is why late December when they stop stocking it. It's almost like. You're experiencing the same thing that I experience with seasonal drinks from the coffee shops. Yeah, but this is different. No, it's not. It's the same thing. <laughs> also, I buy it once. <laughs> you know, and then you're sad that it's gone. Well, yeah, but I don't go and buy one a day. Why for not? Months. 
whatever. Oh but I do get it. I'm saying that I get it. We're it's, the same. That's true. That's true. You do get it. And I, I now understand you better in that mm. way. It's true. So that's that's what I'm drinking. I'm enjoying it very much. And some water. Good. Because might as well have some agua to go along with your beer. Yeah. Might yeah. as well. Might as well. <laughs> oh, my dear. You have a good feel-good fact for us? I do have a good feel-good fact. Yeah. So it's pretty common knowledge that crows are incredibly intelligent. So much so that they've been observed making tools, playing pranks on each other, and on other creatures. And they will regularly hold funerals. For their fo- uh, fellow fallen crows. Ooh, what? Yeah. That's very interesting. I always think of crows as being brooding and menacing. and They're so smart. I have thought about that, but like the whole thing that they hold funerals for one another. They is also like, hold grudges. Oh, oh. They remember if you've wronged them. You know what? I have heard that before too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and if you've righted them. Yeah. They'll bring you things. <laughs> they're, they're like your friend. Crows are so interesting. They are. But I didn't know about the funerals. That's actually new, very new information. They'll like gather together and it's like a whole thing. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. All right, my dear, you got some Christmassy folklore for us today, huh? I do. So a heads up before we we begin, this is a follow-up to a previous episode that we did kind of around the same theme. Mm -hmm. So to make it easy for everyone, and because it was such a fun episode, we went ahead and re-uploaded last year's holiday folklore episode. And so if you haven't listened to that one, or if you just want a refresher before jumping into this episode, I recommend that you listen to that one first. I will be making multiple references to themes, ideas, and full characters from our first holiday lore episode. And so definitely don't start with this one Mm. if you plan on listening to both. So with that out of the way, let's dive in. Around the world for many centuries, winter and winter-themed holidays have brought with them stories and traditions of all kinds. Some were used and shared in order to explain or make sense of the harshness and brutality of winter. Others were cultural figures or beliefs that later blended with Christian ideas as means of creating a kind of harmony between folk tradition and popular spiritual practices. And then others are just plain head-scratchers. As we talked about in our previous holiday episode, Christmas and winter holidays were not always treated with that same special, like warm, cozy feeling that we often associate with the season, at least here in the United States. Right, right. And there are countless stories, figures, monsters, and more that are used to usher in the holidays across the world. We've got Christmas witches and macabre processionals, haunting hunters, and holiday spirits and monsters galore. So (laughs) buckle up, because this one's a doozy. I, I, that was a great little sentence there. Little I like twist. that. Yeah, yeah. It was very. <laughs> it wasn't Doctor Susie, but it was Susical. definitely definitely poetic. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's fun. Thanks. That's so nice of you to say. <laughs> so I will say, and you'll kind of see this as we go. Last year was more, um, more festive, kind of uh, Santa and anti Santa. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This one feels more like winter. Okay. It captures the winter vibe. I feel I feel like more than the like Christmas vibe. Okay. That makes sense. So maybe I'll be wrong on that. But we'll, we'll see. That's what I that's the vibe I got as I was writing it. But anyway, let's kick this thing off with some Christmas witches, starting first with a little overview of the European Frauen. So mm. last time we talked about Frau Perkta, a Christmas witch who led her own crowd in the wild hunt. So it turns out that Perkta is a member of a group of witches known as the Frauen. 
Hmm. The Frauen are German witches or goddesses that serve their own functions in maintaining their respective duties, whether that's guarding the children, protecting the forest, maintaining harmony in the mountains, etc. Hmm. I'm not going to cover Perkta again, but there are still a bunch of others that are equally as interesting. And so we're going to talk about Frau Goad or Frau Godin. Ooh, okay. So she is one such winter witch who exists in Northern European Alpine folklore. There are multiple iterations of her origin story. One legend says that she was once a noblewoman who was deeply passionate about hunting. She would traipse around her kingdom saying, hunting is better than heaven, over and over. Hmm. That was like her catchphrase. When she became a mother to 24 daughters, just casually, she (laughs) she passed her love of hunting on to them as well. Despite being warned against her love of hunting, while she was in her carriage with her daughters heading out for yet another hunt, Frau Goad watched in horror as each of her daughters began to morph and change, their beauty fading as their bodies became covered with fur, their fair hands once soft and delicate morphing into paws, each of them also sprouting tails. Oh, what? Her daughters were turned into hunting dogs right before her eyes. From there, they all rose up into the sky and took their place in the wild hunt. While Perkta's wild hunt is comprised of noisy demons and the ghosts of unbaptized children, Frau Goad and her wild spectral dogs haunt the skies around the villages across south-central Germany for their version of the wild hunt. Oh, wow. It also takes place during the 12 days of Christmas, just like Frau Perkta's, mm-hmm. but it's, hmm. it's categorically different, it seems. Okay. During this time, Frau Goad is on the lookout for open doors and windows. And if she spots one, she'll send one of her ghostly hounds into that home where it will make itself at home for a short time. If one of her hounds does enter your home, leave it alone. Do absolutely <laughs> nothing about it. It's only when a resident attempts to chase the dog out that disaster is sure to follow. So let's just say you're just minding your own business during the 12 days of Christmas. But you forgot to close your window. Well, in comes one of Goad's hounds. You might think it's wise to go ahead and chase the thing out in order to protect yourself and your family, but you could not be more wrong. Mm -hmm. Not only will you not be able to get rid of the dog, like it is 100% guaranteed you will not be able to get it out of your house. Instead, you will earn yourself Goad's curse. Oh, good. Yeah, which is (laughs) really great. The curse can take many forms. You might lose all your livestock. You or someone you love might fall terribly ill or be covered with painful boils, or you might even die due to the curse. If you find yourself cursed, there is good news, but there's also some bad news. The bad news is that you're kind of stuck with it, but there is one way to get rid of it, and that is the good news. Goad herself will remove the curse from you, but she only does this once a year on Christmas Eve. The reason she's willing to hear out a measly villager on that night is because she's determined to turn the focus off of the baby Jesus and towards herself. (laughs) Because she used to be worshipped before baby Jesus came around. And so her goal is like, I'm going to distract you. I'm going to distract the people. And I'm going to get that attention on myself. There's like a hilarious theme in a lot of different stories like this one where it's either baby Jesus doesn't want to share his holiday or other people are mad because it's baby Jesus's birthday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. <laughs> so she's also said to have a real soft spot for children, which I think is interesting. So like she'll... she'll except for baby Jesus. Except for baby she Jesus. She hates that kid. <laughs> yeah, that, that kid is just the worst. <laughs> so she has been known to come into the village during Yule in order to give gifts to the children. Some believe that Goad 
uh, or Godin was the wife of Odin or Woden, which is a sentence I just said. Oh, wow. <laughs> or now that she's simply in here. <laughs> or that she's simply the god Woden in disguise. But either way, I think it's best to keep your windows and doors tightly closed and locked during the 12 days of Christmas yeah. just to be safe. And remind me, what are the 12 days of Christmas? Is it the 12 days leading up to? It's either the 12 days leading up to Christmas or from Christmas to Epiphany, which I think it's that. Oh, okay. To like January 6th, I believe. Okay. Interesting. So on a more depressing note, we have the story of La Bufana. La Bufana is an Italian figure who brings gifts for children on Epiphany Eve, popping down through the chimney in order to bring treats and candy for the good children or sticks or a lump of coal for the naughty ones. If you leave her a glass of wine and a little snack, which is so <laughs> Italian Santa, I can't even, she might even tidy up your house a little bit, though she's notoriously not the best at cleaning. Like, she'll try. Well, she did just mow down a glass of wine and a little snack, so. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this is also a very suburban American white mom. <laughs> no, this is like what we're up to on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> on an important note, you're not supposed to see her, and she's been known to bop little kids on the head with her broom if they try to sneak a peek of her while she's doing her work. She takes the appearance of an old hag in tattered clothes with a black hood. She's almost always depicted with her broom, and she's often covered in soot from climbing up and down so many chimneys. But it's her backstory that brings in whatever the opposite of holiday cheer is. Oh, Okay. As the legend goes, La Bufana was hard at work sweeping and cleaning her home when the Magi, the three wise men who came and celebrated the birth of Jesus, had come to her house because they'd gotten lost. Mm. So they stopped at her home and asked her for directions to the birthplace of the Savior. La Bufana didn't know where they were going and couldn't offer them directions, but she did offer them a place to stay for the night. They happily and gratefully accepted her offer and invited this kindly old woman to join them on their visit to the newborn king. But she declined because she had way too much cleaning to do. Mm. After the Magi left, Labafana realized that she had made a mistake. And so she set out into the night in hopes of finding the Magi and joining them at the celebration. But she got lost on her way to see the baby. And to this day, she still roams the earth in search of the baby that she never got to meet, offering gifts to babies and children around the same time each year. Oh, Yeah, there's a few different versions of this story or like at least a few different details get changed. Like there's another one where she, they kind of cut out the first interaction. Nobody stays overnight. Oh, it's okay. just like the Magi are just kind of going door to door, like, Hey, come on with us to go see the new baby. <laughs> and so like they stop by her house and she's like, nah, I got a lot of sweeping to do. <laughs> and within a very short amount of time, she's like, Oh no, what have I done? I need to go see this baby. Yeah. And so she starts kind of grabbing all the things that she could think of. That would be a great gift. <laughs> for the baby yeah, Jesus yeah. and makes her way around and doesn't Can't ever find, find him. Yeah. So like her motive is she's just giving gifts to the children all across the area in hopes that she'll finally complete the mission of bringing a gift to the baby Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> but she's just like kind of doomed Sisyphus style to kind of keep repeating yeah. it, which oh is kind of sad. And then there's another version where Labafana had a baby of her own, but she tragically lost her child. So when she heard the news of the birth of the baby Jesus, she was filled with a new kind of joy. And so she went out in search of the baby, bringing gifts for him and a crisp new broom for Mary. And when she went and saw the baby, she was given the blessing of being the mother of all Italian children. And oh. that's why she gives gifts to children each year. Wow. So she's like Mother Christmas. Yeah. 
So I feel like I kind I like the second half of that one the best, but yeah. the first half of the that other version yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that is the origin story of La Bufana. And then she hands off a nice new crisp new room. Here you to, go. To Mary. Yeah. So in an equal and opposite manner as the Wild Hunt, there's another group that is said to roam the countryside in alpine areas, and that is the night folk. Mm, that's and a- so it's not the night folk like in Red Dead Redemption 2, which I learned was also a thing, <laughs> mm, okay. which is more like bayou, kind oh, of like yeah, creepy yeah. ghosts, uh, nor is it the chaotic swarm of demons and ghosts like the Wild Hunt, but instead the night folk are a solemn processional comprised of lost souls that are accompanied by a haunting music with one goal, to recruit more souls to join in their dark procession. Oh, just to just that? It seems like it. It's during people. You want to come on our spooky seeming walk? Yeah. Very spooky seeming. (laughs) Most of the time, you're only likely to hear the night folk rather than see them. But if you do see them, they may try to lure you into their dark march, either with their hypnotically sad song or with an offer to teach you a new skill or how to play an instrument. But it's best to decline unless you feel like being cursed to wander the lands with the night folk for eternity. And jam out. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> actually know, could be, be honest, a really that last good... one was kind of enticing to me. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 Honestly. Me a new instrument? That sounds like so much fun. Forever? All right, let's go. And I get to just play music for all time? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Sad songs? Awesome. <laughs> it's like all the things I want to do. These are all my favorite things. Yeah. So they're typically depicted in long black hooded shrouds, their dark clothing mostly obscuring their faces. Mm. So like, sign me up. Right. I want to be with the night folk. I already wear all dark clothes. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) So between Christmas and New Year's, the night folk march uh, indicates to the villagers what the next year would bring. So a beautiful song indicated a productive and happy year, but a more funeral song. Mm like a funeral mood type song meant certain, yes, a dirge, (laughs) a dirge (laughs) meant certain disaster in the year to come. If the night folk are making their way towards your home, it's bad luck to block them in any way. And so your best bet would be to open your windows and doors, leaving a straight path for them to march through on their journey. And if you would do that, they would likely leave you alone. So this is very similar Mm. to Irish and British fae folklore. Okay, where it's like yeah. you're not supposed to block a fairy. So always yeah. like, like there's specific rules with like corners of your house and with hmm. the way that you would leave things open. Unfortunately, though, if your windows and doors are open to like ward off the night folk, Goad's coming in with Goad's one of her dogs. Yeah. So you're kind of doomed either way. Yeah. Like, look out. Oh. So if you happen to be unlucky enough to see the night folk on their somber march, if you do look closely enough at the individual faces, you might see your neighbors, your coworkers, your loved ones, or your own household family members. And in some cases, you might even see a version of yourself tagging along at the end of the processional. In order, each of the people that you would see tagging along with the night folk would die off as the following year proceeded, leaving you afraid and desperately on edge to die last, doomed to spend eternity marching along with the night folk. Wow. So yeah, that's the night folk. My goodness. (laughs) Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about, about those guys? Well, I mean, once again... Like they don't they don't sell a bad product when they're mm. saying, Hey, you wanna come for a walk and play guitar and sing sad songs with us? You mean I don't have to like just for fun live in a house and pay bills and yeah. I can just march mm. along and play a new instrument? Yeah, just for fun. For all time. Yeah. Forever. 
Then yeah. I get to like recruit more people. It's a little <laughs> yeah. culty. Yeah. I don't know if there's a leader. <laughs> some would say that the Grim Reaper is sometimes like heading up the processional. Ooh. He might have like a violin or a very interesting little. It's pretty metal. Yeah. The Grim Reaper is just like yeah. hanging out with his fiddle. Hanging out with his fiddle. Yeah. Like double down does. to Georgia, but like the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Yes. In Germany? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next, we have an interesting practice that takes place in Western Turkey each year, and that is Bojuk Night. Ooh, so Bojuk is the name. It is a fun word. It's spelled B-O-C-U-K, though, but it's pronounced Bojuk. Huh. Okay. So that is the name for the coldest night of the year, and it's believed that on Bojuk Night, all of the restless spirits, both benevolent and wicked, along with the most evil witches, are set free and are allowed to wander and wreak havoc across the land. The Bojuk mother, Bojuk grandfather, and Bojuk wife are freed, allowing the spirits to do their bidding, which usually involves sneaking into barns and blocking calves from drinking from their mothers, causing the mother to never produce again, mm. causing the baby to die from malnutrition and mm. leading to agricultural devastation for any unlucky farmers that find themselves targeted by the Bojuk. Sheesh. Yeah, it's pretty intense. So this one sounds really like it's a it's like a lore to explain when all the crops die. Mm-hmm. From There's a cold. lot of that. I feel yeah. like that ended up being like an unintentional theme of this episode mm-hmm. where it's like very much uh, more focused on Kind of like personifying winter. Right, right. That makes sense to me. And winter devastation. Right. And it's and interesting. That kind of thing. And it's it's like a that's that's a fun, not a fun lore. I mean, it's kind of like a bummer. Uh, but it's that's part of the fun is you have this lore that explains the way that people are seeing just the way the, they interact with yeah. their circumstances. Right. So to ward off the evil spirits, people are encouraged to dress in their most horrifying white getups, and they also paint their faces black and white in order to confuse the spirits. Mm. If a Bojuk spirit decides to target a person, they will wait until someone is walking outside alone, and then it will latch onto their backs, dragging them into the snow in order to kill their victim in the freezing cold. Oh, wow. That's a nightmare. It took a hard right turn. Yeah, it does. So fear not. Because there is a way to protect yourself and your livestock from being attacked by a Bojuk. On top of donning the appropriate apparel and face paint, one can ward off a Bojuk by baking a special dessert made from pumpkin that you can leave out for the creatures. And as an extra protection, you can gather with your closest loved ones and eat lots of the pumpkin dessert together. Hmm. And the Bojuk should leave you be. Well, okay. Okay. So now not only is there an explanation for the devastation, but also a good excuse to hang out. To make a tasty treat and <laughs> yeah. share it with your friends. Yeah. Just hanging for hanging for the 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 Yule tide. Yeah. Just getting together. For the old Bojuk. <laughs> yeah. Bojuk time. Yeah. On the nights preceding and following Christmas, if you find yourself in the wilderness of Switzerland, particularly near Lucerne and Mount Pilatus nearby, I'm sure that I said that way mm. too Nebraskan. <laughs> Way too Nebraskan. But you might find yourself crossing paths with a horrifying hunter, and that would be a truly scary figure that goes by the name of Turst. His whole MO is similar to other creatures who partake in the wild hunt, but the brood that joins Turst on his one-man crusade is truly nightmarish. Mm. So where we might picture jolly old St. Nick being escorted by sleigh with the power of his reindeer, Turst rides on horseback, blowing his haunting hunting horn and is led by leagues of three-legged dogs that are headed up 
not by a red-nosed reindeer, but instead by a nightmarish dog-pig hybrid with a single eye in the middle of its forehead. (laughs) Dripping fangs bared and ready to rip apart any unfortunate human or animal that gets in their way. So he just like sends his huge army of weird little alien dogs ahead of him to like kind of clear a path. Wow. That's so... That took a turn. So I'm <laughs> here's the thing. I, I'm I could be wrong. So correct me if I'm really off here. Sure. But doesn't Turst look like a skinny version of Santa Claus? Yes. Okay. So Or like a scarecrow. I've seen yeah. both. <laughs> so slight personal aside to this. When I was younger, my mom used to collect skinny Santas. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I learned about the skinny Santa lore a little bit. And so when you said the name Turst, I'm like, oh, I know this. And especially with the horn, mm-hmm. she has, I don't know if she still has them. I assume she does. She has a few that he has his horn, but she always just calls him Skinny Santa. <laughs> I wonder if she knows that that's <laughs> well, we'll have to like ask a, wicked, her. a wicked character. <laughs> so Turst is an interesting guy. He can also use his horn to summon all manner of terrifying critters to aid him in his hunt, as he is considered to be a guardian figure for mountain-dwelling goblins that also stalk the area. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, Turst is likely just a highly localized version of the Wild Hunt and its many horrors meant to symbolize and personify the fierceness and mercilessness of winter storms. But the good news is that if you leave him and his pack of monster dogs alone— He'll likely leave you alone as well. Well, that's good. But just in case, you can also set up a weather cross, which is effective in lessening the blow of his power to destroy and flatten whole homes and farms that happen to be in his way. Hmm. Wow. So you can double up. Yeah. Just like stay out of his way, set up a weather cross. You'll probably be fine. (laughs) You'll probably be okay. Yeah. You know. And then eat some pumpkin treats and. Yeah. Well, that's over in Turkey. You'd have to make a little trek from Switzerland to Turkey, but still. Makes sense. So if you think Turst is bad, one of his sort of partner figures that sometimes is like depicted joining him is Straggle. Mm. Straggle is much, much worse. <laughs> Straggle is said to be terrible to look at with hooves and horns covered in fur with large claws and teeth that gets, you know, all those things get put to great use. Mm-hmm. The Straggle is also believed to accompany Frau Perkta on her wild hunt as well. And that makes sense because Straggle is very concerned about the tidiness and the work ethic of those in the village. Hmm. You don't finish your cleaning or your spinning and you're in for it. So that definitely harkens back to Frau Perkta. Yeah. Well, and it sounds, it's, it's almost like an adult version of the Krampus, mm-hmm. which is interesting. No, it's more, it's more like Perkta. Because do you remember, you probably didn't re-listen to it. I re-listened to it to prepare mm-hmm. uh, to last year's episode. Mm-hmm. Perkta would literally like cut your belly open, fill you with stones and hay yeah. if you didn't finish your spinning. And then there was also the Yule cat who would eat you if you didn't finish your your <laughs> like wool spinning. <laughs> yes. It's like an adult version of the Krampus in the sense of like, if you're not doing what you're supposed oh. to, it's coming after you. Wow. Like, you shouldn't have needed to explain I, that twice. <laughs> Those whose homes displease Straggle will not only be robbed blind, but they and their children will be tossed into the air and ripped apart, eaten bit by bit until there's nothing left. So I would once again be dead as a doornail if Perkta or the Straggle came a knocking at my door. Yeah, geez. (laughs) Clean your house. Do your spinning. Take care of business. Gosh, I just can't Do Do the basic needs. I feel like even with the looming threat of the Straggle, I'd be like, it's fine. 
We're, we'll get there. We'll get we'll, to we'll it. We'll get it done. Yeah. It'll get done when it's supposed to. Straggle shows up and you're like, I was going to do it. <laughs> I was literally planning <laughs> was on doing it tonight. I just about to do that. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So in the anti-spirit of Christmas, we have a couple of anti-Santas that we've got to talk about. Starting first with Père Foutard, who stalks around eastern France, Belgium, and Switzerland. <laughs> with wild hair and a long matted beard and a dark robe, Père Foutard appears as one of Santa's spooky little helpers. He's also depicted with a switch or a whip, which makes sense given that his name means something along the lines of Father Whipper mm-hmm. or Old Man Whipper. So <laughs> odds are that it's not super hard for you to guess what his job might be in regards to helping Santa. Like, yes. what is his function yes. being Santa's wingman? He whips all of the bad kids. Yeah. A practice another, that actually— Another Krampus. Very Krampus-y, <laughs> cr- cr- or Krampus, whichever. Yeah. Uh, sort of figure. So this practice of whipping bad children actually continued in parts of France until the 1970s. Oh, wow. Which uh, I also was reminded while I was learning about this, that they also, in some areas, did executions via guillotine up until 1977. So I'm like, yeah, that makes sense that they were whipping children in public. (laughs) I don't know. They were still doing the guillotine up to that point. Yeah, the final execution... In France by guillotine was in 1977. That is not long ago. Isn't that uh, wild? Not judging you, France, but that's, um, like I'm judging you a little bit. That's pretty crazy. Thank you for figuring it out, though. <laughs> we, all, we all figure things out. <laughs> we all figure out. things out eventually. So, but why does Father Whipper whip so? What's his deal? There are a few origin stories for Père Foutard, so I'm just going to pick one and kind of roll with it. As the story goes, Père Foutard used to be a humble innkeeper, but he hated the children that would noisily pass by his inn on their way to school. And so he abducted a trio of noisy kids, robbed them, and killed them. Oh my gosh. His wife then prepared the remains as one would prepare a recently slaughtered pig. No. By putting them in a brining barrel. Oh. Like with the brine and everything. Wow, this legend is... Dark. The roughest one so far. When St. Nick caught him, he gave him a chance to repent for his terrible crimes. And Père Foutard did. Hmm. So Santa rewarded him with the job opportunity of a lifetime, like right in his wheelhouse. <laughs> and so he became Santa's wingman, swatting all of the bad and probably very noisy kids with his whip each year. <laughs> so that's... Are you repentant of what you've done? Yes. Sick. Good. You get to keep doing Getting it, buddy. back to it. Yeah. <laughs> Use use your powers for good, sort of, now, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Not really. <laughs> question mark? <laughs> use your powers for good? Um, there are a surprising amount of figures just like that, huh. who, like, their origin is that they murdered kids. And, and then so then Santa, Santa was like, and- hey, guy, do you know <laughs> that it was bad to do that? 
And the guy's like, yeah, that was real bad. I shouldn't have done that. And Santa's like, sick. Come Good and job. Come and whip the children now with me every year for eternity. Wow. So there's a lot of them. That, I can't believe it. Honestly, <laughs> that's really surprising. But I guess believe you got to, you got to, there's always going to be, at least maybe not like as much today, but at some point in history, there was always like a, Here's the reward for being good, but also watch out for this oh, punishment yeah. for not being like, right. we don't talk about the second half today of that because we've come to find that it's not very Christmassy of us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but also it's just, that was the way that things were back then. Yeah. There, there was a strong emphasis on the punishment. So, well, I think it once sense. again goes back to the potency of story where we see it in so many different ways all across the entire world for like most of documented human history, that story has been used for so many different reasons. Mm-hmm. Like in, in, in these stories, it's wild to hear them how they are now, but this was their idea for behavior modification. Yeah. Like, and it worked. It yeah. was effective. You know? It still kind of works today, honestly. <laughs> well, I would also <laughs> like to remind everybody of Joe, the invisible man that would accompany oh, my family. yeah. yeah. That my dad, yeah. Uh-oh. Listen to the first episode. There's Joe, yeah. It's all right, episode Joe. They'll one, behave. We talk about it. Yep. It's the same <laughs> thing. So, along the same lines is the terrifying enforcer known as Hans Trapp. Much like Per Futard, Hans Trapp was not interested in rewarding anyone for anything, but rather he delights in getting to make children pay for their many misdeeds. Across the forests of historical Alsace Lorraine, that is modern-day eastern France and western Germany, and sometimes Bavaria, lurks the evil Hans Trapp. Mm. According to history, Hans Trapp is based off of a real person, a 15th-century fellow by the name of Hans von Trotha. Hmm. This guy was a German knight who angered local monks and was excommunicated by the church for a time due to this disagreement. But the legend states that Hans Trapp was a man driven mad by his own wickedness. And it's this wickedness that gave him his eternal purpose to stalk the region in search of children that he could kill and devour. Because what's a Christmas legend without some cannibalism? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So one day, while Hans Trapp was roasting a child he'd recently killed, God looked upon his deeds in horror, deciding to punish Hans Trapp by striking him in the skull with lightning, splitting his head wide open. But not one to give up easily, Hans Trapp survived this temporary setback and was given an opportunity for repentance. (laughs) He would accompany Santa on all of his annual gift-giving excursions, but instead of giving gifts and spreading holiday cheer, Hans Trapp was tasked with scooping up the bad kids and eating them. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Serving as a serious warning to other children that they should behave, lest Hans Trapp comes for them next year at Christmas time. (laughs) That's my favorite one, I think. It like just turns so quick. (laughs) In Alsace-Lorraine and the surrounding areas, it's been common for children to sing a special holiday song to Hans Trapp, informing him that they've been oh-so-very-well-behaved all year and that he need not come for them. Wow. Any celebrations in the area also commonly have a person or multiple people dressed as Hans Trapp running around the festivities, scaring the children in attendance silly. And he'll like get in their face and scream at them. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's like really wild. Can I also just point out the hilarious complexity now that that gives to Santa Claus? Mm-hmm. He's just like, he's like, oh, this great gift giver. And also he's buddies with all of these guys. It's very These dualistic. are my friend. This is my friend Hans, by the way. 
He's very dualistic yeah. in his way. He's he's a lot more complex yeah. than, than in, in these settings than he is today. Well, actually, the book that I read, or one of the books that I read for this story has the like multiple sections talking about like the origins of St. Nicholas mm-hmm. and Santa. Mm-hmm. And there's debate on which St. Nicholas is the actual like one that Santa is based off of. And then there's also, which is interesting, hmm. that was new information to me. I was like, yeah. I thought it was always uh, Nicholas of Myra or right. Mira, right. but instead it's also from another Nicholas from a different huh. place. I don't, yeah. anyway, yeah. um, there's also theories that the Santa of old was based off of Odin or was based off of a specific shaman. Oh yeah, or, I heard that. Yeah, so those are really interesting. I feel like we'll we'll maybe talk about that one those ones next year if people yeah. think that's interesting but well for me i those are actually the ones that i remember learning as a kid and and growing up i mm-hmm. didn't even know anything about the ancient church father sure <laughs> that was like new to me when i was an adult I'm like oh well that makes sense too so <laughs> right you know those ones are the ones that i was like oh that's what he's based on you know whatever yeah like it's just, it, that's so it's interesting to me to have learned it the opposite direction in that way right be like oh it's based off an actual person Right. So, anyway. Yeah, I feel like the character of Santa has changed with the times. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, <laughs> I'm like I'm not mad. Right. <laughs> that he's not like a horror figure. Right. Unless you're looking at Violent Night, that horror movie. The movie. <laughs> <laughs> haven't haven't watched that one yet. I don't think I've seen it yet. Yeah. So we have another spooky figure coming down the pike, and that is Bloody Thomas. <laughs> oh, yes. Bloody Thomas. I'm already a fan of this one. Yeah. On the feast day of St. Thomas, which is December 21st, Bloody Thomas makes his annual rounds in Bavaria. Bloody Thomas, or sometimes referred to as Thomas with the Hammer. Oh, it sounds like a Beatles song. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> it's got that. Yeah that Beatles twinge. (laughs) Bloody Thomas is a massive ogre, generally depicted as a large humanoid monster carrying an even larger blood-soaked hammer or mallet. And he has one job. Do you have any guesses? Is it to beat naughty kids? Punish wrongdoers. (laughs) (laughs) Namely, naughty little boys and girls (laughs) by smashing them with his hammer. (laughs) There's a whole lot of those. There seems to be. Interestingly, the feast day of St. Thomas is notably celebrated by making sausages that are shared around the region within like in the following months, (laughs) which kind of makes a fellow wonder. (laughs) But whether or not Bloody Thomas turns his victims into sausages of his own, the legend of Bloody Thomas has inspired an interesting holiday prank where adults would don a scary monster mask and cover their clothes and shoes with animal blood. They would then appear to their children or to their neighbor's children banging on the door, threatening the children inside to behave. Otherwise, Bloody Thomas would smash them with his hammer. Oh, my god! They'd follow up with sticking their blood-covered feet into a crack in the door, showing the children that Bloody Thomas meant business and that he certainly wasn't bluffing. That's a nightmare. Yeah. They I'm would just, surprised that a few of these have not been made into horror movies. Well, from everything I could find, that actually was pretty effective. <laughs> And all of the now very, very well-behaved children would receive gifts for changing their behavior just in time for the holidays. Wow. Yeah, that one would, that would scare me today. If someone did that, I, okay, bloody Thomas, you got your man. I'm, I'm a nice boy now. I will behave. That's, (laughs) or will I? Oh, that one's so scary. (laughs) Yeah, that one's real creepy. Next, we have the Germanic figure known as Drood. 
Drood is a hag-like evil spirit that is sent out on the longest, darkest winter's nights with a goal of instilling pure terror into the hearts and minds of her victims. Drood's end goal is to kill her victims while they sleep, but she'll be perfectly content with giving her victims terrible, terrible nightmares. Mm. In Bavaria, it was tradition to hang Drudensteins, which is a stone with a naturally occurring hole. And that's believed to stop the Drood from being able to intrude into your dreams and to like be able to come into your home at all. And so if you get a really great Drudenstein, you might even be able to actually kill the Drood, ending her terrible nighttime antics. So while the Drood is not specific to Christmas, it is associated associated with winter at large. Mm. Okay, yeah. It's more of like a winter evil ghosty thing. Yeah, that is, oh man, that's a a spooky one. I feel like it in that same, like you just said, associated with winter, but it sounds like it's associated with like, if I'm going to guess, like illness that comes with the cold mm. like that's kind of yeah. what i'm oh yeah i didn't even think of that pestilence right. of some sort you know oh you're probably right so yeah Ooh, i don't love that another figure kind of like this is the japanese yuki ona so once again she's not really a christmas figure but a winter figure whose name means snow woman Mm. Yuki Ona is a winter spirit who is typically used as a frightening reminder of what kind of darkness awaits those who foolishly venture out into the harsh winter unprepared. She typically appears during the second part of January, a time where New Year's celebrations are still taking place, like in that Mm -hmm. area of Mm -hmm. Japan. She's said to appear as a roughly 10-foot-tall, strikingly beautiful young woman dressed in all white with skin that's equally white, almost as if she herself is one with the snow that's swirling around her. Mm. And her origin and purpose range from sad to downright terrifying. Appearing in Japanese folklore sometime in the 15th century or maybe even earlier than that, Yuki Ona is either the spirit of a young woman who perished in a terrible winter storm Uh, Some versions say that she was lured into the forest and then murdered by vengeful spirits, or that she's a spirit who ventured down to earth from her place on the moon, but became trapped due to a winter storm and is now cursed to wander the earth during all snowstorms. Wow. A dreadful reminder of her own circumstance and a warning to all humans who she comes across. That is a, that's a really deep backstory, I feel like. Yeah. Uh There's a few, yeah, there's a few versions. I feel like there's a few versions of every single element of her. <laughs> mm, okay. It can fair, be told fair. in many ways. Yeah. There are a handful of legends surrounding Yuki Ona. If you happen across her in the Japanese winter and try to speak to her, some legends say that she'll vanish before she can respond. Some say that she'll approach you and ask you for water. If you give her cold water, she'll grow even taller and more powerful. But if you give her hot water, she'll evaporate and disappear. Other much more terrifying legends state that Yuki Ona actively seeks out her victims, stalking the forest near villages in search of her next victim. Ooh. Sometimes she'll appear with a child holding her hand, and she'll ask you to hug her child. If you refuse, she'll throw you over the side of a tall hill. But if, uh, so you're, you're dead. Yes. But if you <laughs> hug her child, you'll become stuck to the child as you're slowly covered with ice and snow freezing to death while Yuki Ona and her child come back together, joining hands and searching for another unfortunate soul that will surely fall to the same fate. Wow. So you are dead either way. Yeah. So if she asks you to hug her kid, you're done. That's it. Just pretend like you don't know what she's saying. Yeah. 
Ooh, mm. that's a great idea. Sorry, I don't speak English or Japanese. <laughs> I don't uh, speak. I don't. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> just pretend you don't hear. Yeah, yeah. It's like when someone waves to you at the grocery store that you know, <laughs> you just and you just pre- like pretend like you didn't see him. Yeah. Wait, you do that? No, never. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> no, I usually sneak away before they can wave. I'm like, oh, it's someone I know. Oh, no. Hide. Yeah. <laughs> Quickly. So another version states that she needs to feed on the soul essence of humans in order to maintain her power. And so she stalks the forests and villages, freezing people in place as she sucks their essence from their mouths. Oh, that's a nightmare. Leaving her victims as husks of their former selves, frozen in place with terror forever etched on their faces. Definitely seen that move in horror movies. Yeah, for sure. It's said that the soul essence of children is especially tasty to Yuki Ona. Which is not great news. <laughs> if you are walking in the forest and hear the voice of Yuki Ona call out to you, uh, she will probably freeze and attack you, once again, leaving you as a frozen heap. But it's also said that if Yuki Ona calls out to you and you ignore her, that she'll just kill you anyways. So it's probably best if you opt to stay home during a winter storm in order to avoid a terrible frosty fate at the whims of Yuki Ona. <laughs> wow. So if you ignore her, she'll kill you. So that. We can gather the point here pretty easily. Don't go out in a winter storm. You're going to die no matter what you do. Yeah. Her whole point is keeping you safe. It's, yeah. Thanks, Yukiona. Yeah. Just sort of thank you next to me, see her. No, you can't. (laughs) You can't talk to her, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're doomed. So just stay home. There you go. Stay home if it snows. So remember the killing Kansaros that we covered last time? Those little, uh, like, hairy monsters. Oh, yeah. That would bust into homes throughout <laughs> Greece. Yes. And they would, like, steal your treats and break all your things. So the critters that we're about to talk about are, like, the much larger, much scarier cousins of the Killing Kensaros. And so with that in mind, we're going to learn a little bit about the Turkish, <laughs> look out, uh, Karakonkolos. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Karakonkolos. Karakonkolos. We're just going to say that. Yeah. yeah. During the first 10 days of Zemheri, a time between December 22nd and January 21st, which marks the coldest time of year in Turkey, the <laughs> Karakonkolos descend. And unlike their much smaller cousins, these guys are depicted as very tall, with thick black hair covering their bodies. And the name of their game is general trickery and deception. <laughs> but they're way bigger. And way so, smarter. Yeah. Okay. So because the other ones, it's like you could ward them off by like giving them a bowl with right. whole, like a colander. Because they'd be like, ooh, right. things to count. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or just give them a treat and they'll leave. These right. guys are much different. Hmm. So these guys are said to lurk in the darkest corners of a town or village, giving anyone who passes by the chance to answer one of their riddles. But these games are rigged at best. First mm-hmm. of all, the person who gets trapped and then forced to answer a riddle has to include the word black in their response. Hmm. And so like once you get asked the question, you have to answer it. No option to ignore it. And they can also ask you an unlimited number of questions and riddles before they cut you loose. And if you guess wrong even once, you'll be struck dead where you stand. Okay. It's like you could be there for four days. Yeah, yeah. And it would be total fair game, which is not great. They're also masters of deception and have been known to wait outside of your front door, calling out to you in the voice of your loved ones, asking for help as they knock or tap or pound at the door. 
If you fall victim to their trick and open the door, the Karakankalos will put you under a trance that will keep you frozen in place as you slowly freeze to death in the harsh Turkish winter, unable to move, call for help, or run away in order to save yourself. What? So, like, their whole thing is they're tricking you to lure you outside to your death. Yeah. Scary. So, they're doing the opposite of Yuki. Yeah. They are... They're not they're trying, trying to, to hurt yeah, you. They want you to cut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Woo. Spooky. So another figure related to these guys is the Germacochi, which is a Bigfoot like creature with a similar MO, except these ones generally stick to the mountains. And instead of tricking its victims to death, these ones opt to simply eat you. Like they mm. don't waste any time with riddles. They're not going <laughs> to trick you. They're just going to catch you and eat you. So maybe stay out of the mountains during the winter and don't answer your front door unless you're absolutely positive about who it is that has come a knocking. <sighs> wow. And so we have one final monster to talk about before we wrap this thing up. And that would be a fearsome creature known as the Knuckle of V. I can pronounce that one. I don't know what that is. The Nuckalavi is a creature found in the folklore of the Orkney Islands in northern Scotland. And this thing is scary. During the summer months, the Nuckalavi is kept subdued in the depths of the ocean by the mother of the sea. But as the cold creeps in, the mother of the sea loses her powers and thus is unable to control the ocean any longer. Hmm. And so the Nuckalavi is set loose. And though it can come ashore in the months between summer and winter, the Nuckalavi is the most powerful during the winter months. Wow. Yeah. Wild. So this thing is insanely scary. It's depicted as humanoid in form with long gangly arms that droop all the way to the ground. Ooh, that's very slender, man. It is. It, so it also has only a single red eye and a large gaping mouth adorning its face. And from head to toe, it's completely skinless. Ooh. leaving its every vein and muscle exposed and visible to the human eye. Ooh, that's, that would be so It gets scary. worse. Ooh. It gets okay. worse. Okay. Okay. It has been a, reported to arrive on land on horseback, and its horse is also skinless and monst- monstrous. Ooh. But what's even worse <laughs> is that one of the most popular versions of the Nuckalavi legend depicts the two creatures combined into one skinless, centaur-like heap in true Lovecraftian nightmare fashion. Yes, I was just thinking Lovecraft. (laughs) So like the human torso is typically just bursting out of the back of the horse Mm. as though the two creatures had been fused together. So it also has a horse head. So it's like a full horse and a man from the waist up, no skin, one red eye, giant mouths. (laughs) This thing is a nightmare. Yeah. All of the artistic renditions of this thing, I'm like... (laughs) Hard pass <laughs> on the Nuckalavi. So the Nuckalavi is a major wet blanket on the holiday festivities, as its presence is basically a guarantee that things are about to go sour real fast. I can't imagine why. Failed crops? It was the Nuckalavi. Sick or dying livestock? Nuckalavi did it. Illness creeps into a village and wipes out a bunch of residents? It was 100% the Nuckalavi. Mm. The good news is that there are a few things that can keep the Nuckalavi at bay. First, it won't come out of the sea if it's raining. Hmm. Don't know why. Second, it hates fresh water. So that's a thing. Only salt. Okay. And third, working burnt kelp into things like fertilizers, soaps, and like other household things can also do the trick because the smell of burning kelp is like the most disgusting, repulsive thing to the Nuckalavi. And so that generally helps to ward it off as well. Hmm. 
This creature was widely feared through the Orkney Islands up into the 19th century. And there's even a relatively famous story of a Nuklavi sighting. Really? Mm-hmm. What are you going to tell us? I, You bet I oh, am. Okay. <laughs> so 19th century Orcadian folklorist Walter Trail Dennison spoke with a fellow by the name of Tomas or Tammy O'Shanter, who claimed to have had a terrifying run-in with the creature. Late one moonless winter's night, Tomas was walking the shoreline road that led to his home. The road sat in between the salty sea and a small freshwater lock. And while Tomas was making his walk towards his home, he spotted something coming right at him from out of the sea. Mm. Realizing that it was the Nuklavi, Tomas stopped to think about his options for a second. He knew that the worst thing he could do would be to turn his back to the creature, but worse still, he knew that there would be no way for him to outrun the beast, no matter how hard he tried. Right, right. He watched as it got closer and closer to him, and he took in the full monstrosity as it approached. It was like a huge horse with fins on its great legs and a huge mouth like that of a whale, and the mouth blew out like a hot, steaming breath. He compared it to a tea kettle. Mm. It also had one eye as red as fire. Sprouting from the creature's back was the form of a man with no legs, but with impossibly long arms that nearly scraped the ground. Its massive head appeared to almost roll from shoulder to shoulder, as if it would tumble off the body at any minute. The skinless monstrosity had black blood that he watched course through the veins of the beast, which passed alongside of white, twisted sinews that contracted as it moved. Wow. Tomas could hardly believe what he was seeing. His hair stood on end and his blood ran cold because he knew that there was no hope for him no matter what he did. But as the beast continued running towards him, almost close enough to grab him, Tomas remembered that the creatures hated fresh water, so he darted as quickly as he could towards the waters of the lock on the other side of the road. Hmm. As he did, he felt the impossibly hot breath of the creature as it roared and screamed at his face, but Tomas swerved away, stepping into the shallows of the lock and splashing the water onto the creature that had quickly closed in on him. This splash of fresh water was enough to distract the creature, and so Tomas booked it, running hard for the nearby stream of fresh water, knowing that if he could cross that before the beast caught up to him, he'd be safe because the running water would create a natural barrier between him and the creature. (laughs) Tomas ran and ran, the creature catching up to him when suddenly he made a jump across the stream. And just in time, too, because right as he made his leap, the creature swiped at him with its long arms, (laughs) grabbing and pulling at whatever part of Tomas that he could. Luckily enough, the creature was only able to grab the cap from his head. Wow. In its rage at being outsmarted by Tomas, the creature let out a fearsome, guttural roar and retreated back to the sea. Oh my God. So there's obviously no way of knowing if that's true. Right. This is reported on by a folklorist. Yeah. There's some like speculation that Tomas was like known for being a drunk. Sure. Yeah. uh, And that kind of thing, which honestly, I feel like that is too convenient of a reason to not believe somebody. Right. Way too convenient of a reason to not believe somebody. But if somebody came up to me being like, yo, I saw this, I don't know what I would think. Right. I I always tend to believe people. I don't know, but Tomas, I don't know but, if I want that to be real. Yeah, yeah. 
Who knows? I don't want that. I don't think I want that one to be real. (laughs) So it's true that cultures across the world and for many hundreds of years have looked for answers or ways to symbolize the plight of winter, the fierce storms, the unrelenting and indiscriminate cold, or the problems of badly behaving children. And we've seen these answers to these questions come to life in the form of monsters, witches, evil spirits, and many, many traditions. And while a lot of these traditions largely died out for a while, there's actually been a major upswing in bringing a lot of them back to life once again Hmm. in individual homes and in festivals and in town-wide events. And uh, that is what I have for you today for this holiday folklore episode. That was a great folklore episode. There's so much going on. I think it was a lot darker than our first one. Definitely dark, but... (laughs) Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory collection of stories today. If you haven't already, please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast on your favorite listening platform and that you've left a glowing five-star review or the equivalent on that platform as well. Um, Those reviews help people who listen to podcasts like this to find this one. Also, make sure you're following us on social media. We are on Instagram and TikTok at This One Is A Doozy. And on Facebook, this one's a doozy podcast. And connect to us even more directly. You can join us over on Patreon. My love, tell everybody what they can get by being a part of Patreon. Yes. So you can follow the link in our Instagram bio or in our Facebook about section, or you can go to patreon.com slash doozypod. And for $5 a month, you can support our show. Subscribers over on Patreon also get access to all of our content ad-free, along with two bonus episodes that are exclusive only on Patreon. Mm -hmm. And with that, everybody, we will see you next week for another doozy. Thank you. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.